Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of The Publisher Lab. I'm Tyler Bishop, joined alongside me as always, Shelby Kang. Shelby, today is one of those days I was telling you when I walked in that I'm happy we're doing the podcast because... It's just one of those things that you can't really mess up. And if you mess up, usually no one will know about it because we'll, we'll just tend to edit those kind of things out. That's right. I'm having one of those days that many uh, site owners and publishers can probably um, uh, familiarize themselves with from the standpoint of uh, I've broken a lot of things today and fixed very few. And the very few things that I fixed are things that I already just broke. So um, yeah, one of those days where the victories are in moral victories only. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of an uphill battle for me today, too. It's Monday. We've got Puptelligence coming up next week. Yeah, you're off to London uh, tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, right? Yeah, so I'll be away from the podcast for a couple episodes, so... Um, hopefully yeah. I'll be able to report and, and, back. And our good friend uh, Whitney Wright is going to be joining you. And so she was your fill-in uh, last time. So we, we're going to have a gap here on the podcast where we're going to have to fill in with someone. Someone. Actually, um, I don't know if Whitney will be able to fill in because she's going to Africa, if I'm not correct. Nairobi? I don't actually know where Nairobi is. Um, but she'll be she'll be out of town for um, a little while after Puptelligence too. So, so stay tuned to find out who's on the podcast with me um, in the coming weeks. Whenever Shelby and Whitney are both gone, we we certainly have no um, uh, no lack of new team members that could join us now that are uh, probably starting to hopping in from time to time anyway. So this will be it'll be interesting to try some people out. We may r- request some audience feedback. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think thumbs it's up or thumbs down. Different <laughs> members of the team. Probably a good time to get a fresh, a fresh perspective. Um, but the first thing I wanted to start off with today is um, something that we talked about last week. So last episode we covered some of the drama going on with G slash O Media and one of their digital properties, Deadspin.com. So just to kind of summarize last episode's events, G slash O Media fired the Deadspin deputy editor. Um, And this was after Deadspin staff published an article encouraging readers to complain to the parent company. Well, it turns out that Deadspin lost its entire editorial staff and no longer employs a single writer or editor. Um, This also led them to lose out on a million-dollar ad campaign with Farmers Farmers Insurance. Insurance. Yeah, I've read so much about this this weekend. I find it fascinating since we talked about it last week. Um, So Farmers decided to pull the campaign after public turmoil between the media company and um, editorial staff. So G slash O Media must now rebuild the entire editorial team There's obviously no guarantee it'll be able to attract the same kind of loyal audience as a lot of the readers kind of feel a bit betrayed by uh, management. So what are your thoughts on this? Do you think they can recover? What do you think will happen? Um, So is this, were you reading about this in the Digiday article? Yeah, Digiday and then the Daily Beast also kind of covered some of it. Got it. Yeah, a lot on Twitter. I think that's the one that I read as well. And um, yeah, I mean, my first thought on just kind of reading it is basically all sides of this could not have handled it any worse and also could not have communicated any worse because I think um, if you're the editorial staff, shame on you from the standpoint of not really understanding the dynamics of a lot of the material going on. Um, if you're on the GO, uh, G slash O side, shame on you for not um, communicating to your staff more and getting feedback and 
basically just creating open lines of the communication. It sounds to me, and I could be wrong here, uh, but my guess is this is not just something, you know, there's a big portion of this where the editorial staff didn't seem to be happy about the stick to sports um, kind of uh, information that was coming down, meaning Deadspin is largely cover sports, but they often would editorialize and talk about political issues and things like that. So G slash O was saying to the editorial staff, just stick to sports. And I don't think they like that. I don't have enough data on either side to be able to say, I, I know the editorial staff was saying, no, these, these things actually generate a greater engagement from the audience. Um, the G slash O people, which are more on the business side, were saying that's not really the case. Um, but despite that, the reason why this happened is because both sides were sort of hostile towards each other to start with. But now no one gets to have like no one gets anything nice anymore because Deadspin just took a huge hit. If you're an advertiser that wanted to work with them for any reason right now, like you're basically saying hold off, which it's Q4. And so uh, just yeah, uh, there's a lot of things about it that are just not great. Um, but yeah, most ad rates um, and things like that are programmatic. I read that in the Digiday article and they were saying that, People from knowledge of the um, of the site, the way that it was years ago, they guess that most of the material on there is programmatic now, anyways. But these direct deals are probably still fairly lucrative and and helpful to the business. And so, um, I do think that this is just a common dynamic where editorial wants to be paid fair prices for um, the product they produce, but at the same time, um, I think the business side of the house is always saying, well you want to be paid a fair price, like we have to be able to sell inventory that is valuable. And I think that there's always like a, a kind of back and forth there. But uh, yeah, my guess is that there's a lot of uh, financial dynamics that the editorial staff didn't know. And then there's a lot of things in terms of um, just the way that the editorial staff felt like the business operated that the G slash O side wasn't ever really interested in hearing. And so, yep, a lot of lessons to be learned all the way around but most of all don't don't sell off the majority of a property to somebody um it's really had hard to make those partnerships work and um yeah i've seen a lot of publishers run into these types of problems when you try to do dual ownership of some kind right i think i was just kind of surprised um i wasn't following it over the weekend but kind of just looking back at how much like social media coverage this got in terms of like people retweeting it, other um, large media companies kind of joining forces and saying, I support them. Even Bernie Sanders, I think, put out some tweet that was in support of them. So I don't know. I was just a little bit taken aback. I'm like, wow, people, a lot more people are talking about this than I thought they would. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of not surprised. And I'm a little bit disappointed and just... Um the nuance that's approached with it. Uh, I think people in general give, uh, man, it sounds terrible to say this. I think journalists a lot of times get a free pass. Is It's like something that they're doing is inherently good. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. That's like saying all writers, anything they write is good. That's not the case. Um, and that's also like read some of the stuff on Deadspin and come, come away feeling like these are really hard-hitting journalists. In some cases, Deadspin will crank out some really, really good quality journalism. And then in other cases, it's just the bottom of the barrel worst stuff you'll ever read. I think I saw um, on their Twitter, one of their articles was like, don't cook raw chicken in a dishwasher. So I could kind of, I could kind of right. see from that what you're saying. But I, I think in general, um, 
there's just a lot of people that maybe just don't understand the nuances of the issue. And so it's gotten a lot of great coverage. Um, who knows what will happen with it next? Uh, this is, I mean, Gawker kind of went through this as well. When they got put out of business, they got a lot of really great credibility. And that's how this entire thing happened in the first place. GAO came along and was like, this would be great. It's got a great, a lot of great PR behind it. Let's buy all the old Gawker properties and, you know, fix them up and we'll make, we'll turn them around and make them profitable. All right. So our next topic is about Google Search Console and how they've begun to roll out a speed report. So the speed report is meant to help webmasters quickly find sections of URLs or sections and URLs of their website that may have speed performance issues. So Google will bucket your pages as fast, moderate, and slow, and will share details on how to improve the page speed by linking you over to PageSpeed's Insights tool. So Google says that you should use the report to monitor your performance and to track fixes that you've made to your website. And you can find the report under the Enhancement section of Search Console. So do you think this is something that publishers should monitor closely? Are there other tools or platforms that you think are better suited for this kind of thing? So uh, my car, uh, whenever I get it serviced, uh, if, I, if I don't do it at the dealership, I have tires put on or rotated or something like that at a place that's not the dealership, I get this light that comes on and it says to like check my tire pressure. Um, happens every time I start my car. I have to largely ignore it because I know it's completely irrelevant. And that's what I recommend publishers do with this report, mainly just because Google is the, about as unhelpful as you could ever imagine when it comes to page speed. And on top of that, um, it is such a non-important issue compared to so many other things that publishers have to deal with. And because of Google's incessant emphasis on page speed, publishers dedicate such a huge portion of their time to this that um, it's really unfair because they're afraid that Google is going to do something to them if they don't, um, they don't comply in some way. And I can assure you that's not going to be the case. Uh, we've invested, we being uh, our company, Zoic, uh, I've invested a significant amount of engineering time to solve this problem for publishers. And I'm happy to say we've, we've done it and are going to be rolling out some tools to do it. Um, the amount of engineering that it took for us to build something like this that would allow all publishers to basically not have to worry about this anymore is significant. And what's frustrating is there's so many things that that kind of power and um, and time could have been dedicated to that were actually probably meaningful. But instead, it's 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 filling this need that, that publishers feel like they have because Google has pushed this so hard. So the search console reports, the way that they divide it, I looked at a bunch of sites today. Almost all site pages seem to get marked the same on whatever respective site. Almost no site has all your pages are fast enough. Um, and let, if you show ads on your site, you're not getting that bottom line. Um, and so you're getting yellow and red, and then you're getting linked to PageSpeed Insights, which I'd be surprised if there's any publisher that cares about this that hasn't seen that already and hasn't already looked at that and said, I've done what I can do there. Right. It's interesting how they no longer are tying like speed into a score. It's just like fast, slow, moderate. Um, all right. So the next topic is another thing from Google. So Google's come out with a new WordPress plugin. Um, so Google's launched um, a plugin called SiteKit, which allows users to see data pulled from Search Console, Google Analytics, PageSpeed Insights, and AdSense. Um, so you can see that all in one place. And the main dashboard provides a high-level view of significant changes on how users are finding your site. 
There are also individual page reports that show specific, how specific content is performing. And you can also do things such as enabling site speed or page speed insights and analytics in order to see you know, whether a page load time affects bounce rate. So what are your thoughts on this? Do you think you'll download the plugin and try it out yourself? Is it worth kind of downloading and investigating? No, <laughs> it's, it's not at all, in my opinion. It's it's taking information that you should already have and, and can access in the respective platforms. And Google Analytics already aggregates a lot of this information for you and puts it into something that is um, not well built and going to probably slow down your site even further, which is ironic um, because of its, uh, once again, integration to PageSpeed and Insights. Google's recent, um, most of the stuff that they release for for WordPress or, um, yeah, just a lot of the different products they make. I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, I like a lot of their free free tools. Um, as far as like site speed audit tools go, uh, Light, Lighthouse is actually really good, uh, in my opinion, about giving you like a really nice crawl and being able to give you like some of the stuff that's in there. PageSpeed Insights is supposed to be built off of that. It's not really 100%, so I recommend using Lighthouse over that tool. I think the team that built PageSpeed Insights, something about, that they've either been siphoned off, but Lighthouse is the the true speed experts at Google and they're, they're the Chrome developer team. And um, that's what I would focus my time on is each individual tool because they're built by the team. So uh, Search Console, um, Google Analytics, uh, Lighthouse, those types of things. I think those are all really valuable, but just adding you know in an aggregation tool to, to WordPress, to me, it's, it would make my WordPress site bloated and um, give me unnecessary information. Yeah. It's, well, if you can, if you already have access to all the information, regardless of whether you have the WordPress, WordPress plugin, then I guess that does kind of seem a bit redundant. Um, the last topic we have on hand is um, from DigiDay, and it's um, titled "Intermediate Media Tests a New Way to Share Direct or Share Data Directly with Advertisers." So the magazine group um, Immediate Media is exploring new ways for advertisers to identify target audiences across its portfolio without relying on third-party cookies. So the publisher, which is home to titles like Radio Times, Top Gear Magazine, and BBC Food, BBC Good Food, has agreed to make its first-party data available for advertisers to view via a neutral platform that doesn't share information anywhere else. So through this dashboard, advertisers can shop for their target audiences across publishers um, by injecting their own customer data into the platform. So... Um, the advertiser data is kept in a secure place and cannot be removed or shared with any other third-party data or a third party. And then the same goes for publisher data. So once an advertiser finds a good match, it can request permission from the publisher to release the data. And then if the publisher re releases it, that advertiser can either use it for insights or to target specific campaigns across the publisher's inventory. So what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that this is a solution that a lot of digital publishers will kind of turn to as more regulations come out? Or do you think it's no need to bring in another party? Um, I, I mean, I think, so it's, it's interesting. So it, it's, it's only relevant for less than probably 100 publishers in the world, probably less, actually probably like less than 50, because there's very few publishers that could actually do this, that have enough reach to where you have enough first-party data 
to match with an advertiser. And then it's very limited to a number of advertisers that have enough data. So let's take, uh, let's take your average mid-tier software company. Um, so your match file of, you know, let's say visitors that visit your website, and let's say even with first-party data, you have IP addresses, you've collected that. And then I go to Hearst, who's really, really big um, across all their different properties and stuff. My guess is I have a very, you know, 10 to 15% match on that. So I can, I can do 10 to 15% of the retargeting that I can do right now through Google uh, or any of the other retargeting platforms. And now let's pretend that doesn't exist. Like, I guess that's worth it. But, you know, like the time that I have, um, or if I'm a so- software company marketing executive or something like that, like, I mean, that's at the bottom of a list of what I'm probably having team members work on. It's it's probably worth it, but I would say don't waste all your time on that because it's so small, right? If you're Pepsi, it might be worth it to do something like that with Hearst or someone that's really big like that. Um, and those and what I don't like about it is gonna it's gonna create either one conglomeration in the marketplace. Or you're going to see people like Hearst go out to smaller publishers and say, join the Hearst network, like join part of our network. We've got this great reach and we have these great deals with advertisers. But guess what? All you've done now is you sold your audience to Hearst or whoever. And I'm, I'm like, I'm giving Hearst a hard time. They're good friends of ours, but they, um, they're, they're a good example of a large publisher in this case. And so all you've done now, if you're just an independent publisher, you're, you don't have the reach of someone like that what you've essentially done is you've sold your audience to somebody else as opposed to Google. And at least with Google, with their scale, you're probably getting a, like, because of competition, you're getting a pretty decent price. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that this is the future. It's also really silly too, when we think about it. Um, because what people are concerned about is privacy and who has the data and who's changing hands or whatever. And now instead of it just being the data is, is open on a platform, um, Basically, it's it's just saying like no peaking, and we're, your data is still being shared by advertisers and publishers. So like, in practice, you're not going to see anything overly different. The biggest thing is it's just creating like a lot of headaches for everybody else involved and a lot more bureaucratic red tape. So I don't I don't think this is the solution to cookies. I do think it's a business opportunity for large publishers, um, but yeah, if you're a publisher and you know public, you have other large organizations reaching out to and saying, we'd like you to join our network. Please don't be flattered. It's um, not in your best interest. Right. Well, that's all I have for this week. Is there anything going on in your end? No, I was trying to figure out how I can end this one on a positive note. I've been kind of sour today, um, negative on just about all the news. And I don't know if that's just because I've been breaking things all day and trying to fix them, or if it's just a matter of uh, the, the kind of the news and publishing right now. I'm, I think in general, we're at a time where publishers are in a strong position. And I'm concerned that there are a lot of parties in the at play that would like to take away the power from publishers. So I, I, I think that's a good thing. Content's never been more powerful. And yeah, I think that's sort of it. Um, what about you? Anything, anything else interesting in the world of publishing going on with a positive spin to it? Um, not in the world of publishing, but in the world of this podcast, uh, I think I just want to thank everybody because we've got nine new um, Apple uh, reviews for the podcast in the past month. So we'd just like to thank you so much for that. Those are really helpful for us. 
Um, and I hope you guys stay tuned for possibly a new voice next week. Yeah. So yeah, stay tuned. We'll see. We'll see who hops on the podcast with me, and hopefully, um, yeah, they can they can find me some some news that's positive, so I don't um, drag them down into the dumps with with you. I'm afraid I've I've ruined your spirit today, Shelby. It's okay. With Peptelligence coming up next week, I feel like I've got a mixture of wanting to cry and wanting to <laughs> throw up at the same time. <laughs> and so we'll leave you on this beautiful day with that. So if we wanted to end it on a positive note, it's it's the cry and throw up. Um, <laughs> yep. So thanks, everyone. <laughs> we want to thank you for joining us on the Publisher Lab in all sincerity. Um, it's been really great having you. And uh, Shelby mentioned all the all the recent reviews have been great. And so uh, we are going to be investing more and more into the podcast. So thank you very much for that. And I think that's it. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time on the Publisher Lab.